0: Hey, y'all. Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid if you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes. Check us out on Stitcher. We're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutsen, and this is We Like Movies Retro Spectating 1999 dual Thread episode Go and Election. Two one word titles. How about that?
1: Two movies that technically bookend the month of April. Go came out today April 9th <laughs> uh, 1999. Election came out at the end of the month. Two films that I'm very proud to say I saw in the theater and had an enormous effect on
0: me. Yeah and I believe they're also the second Second films of two filmmakers that are still kicking around today. So Doug Lyman it's with Goat. That was his, his third. third, okay. technically. Although um, nobody
1: cares about or talks about his first film. Okay. Yeah. So more or less. Close enough. I'm close enough.
0: Uh, Alexander Payne's follow-up to uh, Citizen Ruth was election, and he's obviously gone on to big things since then, Matt.
1: These are my... Favorite films of Doug Lyman and Alexander Payne, respectively, for whatever that's worth. So oh let's just God. go straight to the controversial okay, takes.
0: That is a very controversial <laughs> take. Does the pilot of the O.C. count as a movie? Certainly.
1: Okay. If you want to take that,
0: <laughs> go with God. I meant. Well, what's a ready, set, die? Or what was the original name of that movie? Well, the original title the movie's called Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, I don't tomorrow. like people who would say it's called
1: uh, Live Die Repeat. Live Die Repeat. I don't I, ready set yeah. die. Sorry. No, I don't. Uh, I don't truck with that. The movie's <laughs> called Edge of Tomorrow. Is it a shitty title? Maybe. I don't care. It's called Edge of Tomorrow. If they want to call the sequel Ready Die. Repeat. Ready, die, repeat. <laughs> Live, die,
0: repeat. Ready, set, explode. Ready, set, die. <laughs> Doug Lyman has a very interesting filmography. Certainly. Swingers Go, Born Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Jumper, Fair Game, Edge of Tomorrow, The Wall, American Made, Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. is They're making the sequel. Is that what it's called? That's what's called. All right. Oh, I bad. respect that. That's pretty hilarious. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, it's not that controversial opinion. He says it's his best film. For really? That's worth He believes it's his best film. That is very interesting. So I'll just come around and say it. I rewatched Go the other night, and I was not a big fan. Okay. Of it and first time in twenty years, twelve years, uh, decade. Probably, probably a decade. Okay. I mean, I watched it. I probably saw it a couple times in the theater. I was obviously at the time. You know, this is Dawson's Creek territory. In love with Katie Holmes. Certainly. Very attractive cast. Fun movie. I'm into anything that's Tarantino-esque at that time, right? Mm -hmm. I was into it. I don't remember where it was on the theater, but I know I saw it at least opening weekend, for sure. Were you on it that early?
1: Yeah, I was on an opening weekend. It came out, I think, two weeks after. I think it came out a week after Matrix, actually. That would make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. A week or two weeks. The way that people reacted to The Matrix, where they just immediately got obsessed and just wrapped their arms and legs around it, that's the way I reacted to Go. Okay. For me, Matrix was an interesting novelty and I respected it. Whereas I saw Go and I just literally sat there and glowed for an hour and forty five minutes and said, This movie's for me. Okay. They literally made this movie for me. Now I'm coming off of Swingers, which I absolutely loved, and yeah. that would have been super fresh, right? Sure. Because that was ninety eight, I think, wasn't yeah, it? Was just it just a year earlier? ninety seven. A early, year, 97?
0: year or two before. Yeah.
1: And that was obviously a big deal for me. And oh, 96 actually. It was 96. Okay, so you had a few years between. Obviously, it's got all these exciting young actors involved. Mm-hmm. It has this really hot director. It's got this dynamite trailer. It's, it's got the of, soundtrack. It's got this incredible soundtrack. It's got the great No Doubt song. It's kind of about the rave subculture that I was getting, you know, like electronic music subculture I was getting really curious about in the late 90s. Yeah. I was too young to have dipped my foot into that pond yet, but that's something I would get really into in college. And so that was kind of like exciting and dangerous and mm-hmm. sexy and it also had it introduced me to basically my platonic ideal you know manic pixie dream girl whatever you call her in sarah Pauly. sure i watched go and i was just like yeah sarah Polly has literally been ripped straight from my brain pale blonde mousy mm-hmm angry waif yeah. you know and I was just a Canadian I was just like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> she's got it all she's got it all uh, it. and she's the de facto lead of the film which is exciting because it's not like she was a big movie star at the time No. and so I basically spent my college years you know searching for my Sarah Pauly yeah. and you know found her a couple times but never was able to hang on to her that was a big deal for me that was very formative with all due respect to Katie Holmes I was 100% a Sarah Pauly guy but then you also ended up with you know all these actors that I wasn't super familiar with mm-hmm. at the time who have since gone on to great things and whether it was Fickner or Timothy Oliphant mm-hmm. or Jay Moore. I mean, the ensemble on this is pretty incredible. Breckin Meyer, Tay Diggs, uh, Nathan Bexton shows up, who's actually a guy that yep. I worked on a couple movies with. Super nice guy. I actually worked on a movie he directed. Jane Krakowski. Uh, Jane Krakowski's <laughs> in there. Yeah. It's well, just this a must really... have been
0: during Allie McBeal, though, probably, huh?
1: Yeah, it was during Allie McBeal. Yeah. It was during Dawson's Creek, and it was during Party 5, right? Yeah. So Scott Wolf was...
0: And J- Well, Jay Moore had been on SNL. He had been in Jerry Maguire. Jerry
1: Maguire, sure. If you're, if you're he probably sure. had
0: action going on. Was action at that time? Did you ever watch that show? It was
1: Probably right around then. Was that it? Might like have been a even show earlier. Showtime
0: or like a first FX show. or it something? It was like
1: a Showtime show that moved to Fox. Okay, and then yeah, they yeah. just did a bleeped version on Fox.
0: Yeah, I never watched that show. <laughs> and Tay Diggs, is this the uh, this? When did How Stella Got Her Groove Back? When was that? Got to be right around the same right time. Around the same time, yeah. Right? It's so, got to be 98, 99. Yeah. And so. Timothy so. Oliphant was get, becoming something.
1: This is pre. This is pre Deadwood, but this is after Scream Two. Yes. So he's a hot commodity at this point. I'll tell you what. With all the respect to Sarah. Olly, Timothy Olyphant's looking good in this movie. Oh, yeah, he he's, looks fantastic. He's a hot drug dealer.
0: And I, to me, I think he's he, he makes the biggest impression Okay. Uh, of any of the uh, of, of the new actors in, in this movie, sure. Sarah Pauly is absolutely fantastic. Rewatching this movie, I was super stoked to watch it, and for whatever reason, it just fell flat to me. And I I, I think I come back to some of the cutesy dialogue okay. stuff. I mean, it just wasn't hitting for me. And then I really am not a big fan of the uh, English clerk goes to Vegas. That whole 40 minutes 30 minutes I'm not sure how long it goes It's a third of the movie It's a third of the movie
1: It's the second chapter
0: That whole thing Just doesn't do it for me Okay I I wanted back to the The grocery store Drug dealing I I like the first third And I like the second third I'm not sure I love The middle third Okay
1: The movie was originally Written as a short film Called X- John August wrote this short film okay. and it was just the Rana story. Okay. And then apparently he showed it to a couple people and they were like, What's going on with Simon in Vegas? And what's the deal with these two actors who are just in there like sure. trying to buy ecstasy? And so he decided to expand those stories. Yep. And of course, we're five years removed from Pulp Fiction at this point. Yeah. And everybody's trying to recreate that magic, right? Everyone is. Everybody wants they to. Love the they love the fracture storyline, they to love the back and forth. Yeah. They love the nonlinear narrative and they love Tarantino's pop culture dripping dialogue mm-hmm. heavy verbosity. Yeah, I think August does it better than anybody else of this period. Personally, just because I'm enamored with this film, but I get it. I get how you could bristle at it because it really is. I mean, uh, Leonard Maltin in his review of it called it like Pulp Fiction Junior or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pulp Fiction goes to high school. Mm -hmm. someday it'll be fun to look at. A, sub, at a sample set of these kinds of films and rank the different chapters because I'm thinking of Pulp Fiction and I'm thinking about the fact that I love Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's mm-hmm. wife so much and the gold watch to me the second chapter is far and away the weakest of the three Okay, so it'd be interesting to kind of like look at second chapters you know your, <laughs> sure. or even trilogies for that matter yeah. and, and what second chapters mean and how much of a departure they have to be <laughs> because I agree it's a, it's a totally different movie and it's a departure I still think there's a lot of really fun wonderful stuff in there But I totally understand being less enamored with it. And yeah, the Rana story, the opening third, the opening story is far away. I mean, the movie peaks there, as far as I'm certain.
0: It's a lot of fun. And and maybe it is the pop culture-dripping dialogue that that gets me the soundtrack can't help but feel a little bit dated at this point and i know how like in front of the mainstream it was at the time right like so that was that was big like it yeah. felt new and revolutionary right
1: no doubt len yeah uh, steal my sunshine fat boy slim natalie and Brulia. yeah bt so- <laughs> eagle eye cherry
0: <laughs> like eagle eye cherry that's actually his name it's not even a band name oh really his name's eagle eye cherry oh good for him yeah so that's yeah remember that and then
1: BT who has gone on to be a pretty I mean isn't BT Junkie XL or oh, maybe I'm conflating uh-huh. Junkie Oh, maybe Junkie XL something different I'm anyway like, BT yeah. has scored movies you know BT scored Swordfish mm-hmm. and stuff I mean this was in its own way I think a little bit of an entry level rave property if you to, <laughs> sure. you know like this yeah. is I mean for me it was like kind of like my first exposure to a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff and the idea of ecstasy and everything uh, blew my mind but I'm sure for European audiences or people who are a little more you know for <laughs> who for whom the rave culture had been around for, you know, a decade and a half by yeah. this point. Since the mid-80s, probably. It would it have been probably, like... It would be a little cuter, probably, right? Like a little more quaint, not nearly as sort of uh, insidious. Then,
0: yeah, it would have been a little more hello, fellow kids, right. that type of deal. Yeah. Um, but the
1: opening, that opening, that credit sequence, I think still holds up. Credit <coughs> really sequence is great. Yeah. I love the way it breaks right into the mm-hmm. Columbia to the Columbia bumper. Just that... Incredible Lion Rock song. Mm-hmm. I just, I just love all that stuff. It just, it really. This movie starts mm-hmm. off with such an incredible tempo, yeah and I feel like it never loses that momentum, yeah which is very important. I mean, it's right there in the fucking title, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah to the movie's credit, you're right. There, there's no downtime. It doesn't stop. It just keeps on trucking throughout. So that's fun. Yeah, I don't know. It, for whatever reason, it fell flat. I'm not sure if that was my fault or not, but you know, I'll give another chance. It's a, I keep trying not to say go during this <laughs> while I'm talking here. Um,
1: I mean, maybe that's part of the reason I'm, I've always been so enamored with this movie because it's such a wonderful evocative title and yet it's so simple. It's only two <laughs> letters and they don't do the silly thing which would have been to add an exclamation point to the end of it, right? Yeah, terrible. Apparently go is is like you know slang for methamphetamine or whatever, okay. right? But it's just it's one of those movies you watch and you're like, yeah, that's the only title for that movie. <laughs> and it's just such it's so elegant and economic. I just think it's such a wonderful sort of spiritual sequel to swingers in its own way right because they're both these really really endearing Mm -hmm. and relatable films about nocturnal la that seem to exist in the same universe like when i think about my time in los angeles not that i was running with a lot of these characters but when i think about la and i think about my relationship with la And I think about the way that I imagine nocturnal L.A. I think a lot about go and swingers. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's two subcultures that wouldn't necessarily be overlapping. Right. It's all these big bad voodoo daddy types on one side (laughs) wearing chain wallets. All these like uh, ecstasy popping club kids on the other side. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How old do you read this group to be? Are these these kids are, are these teenagers or are these kids in their 20s because I don't really think of this as a high school movie.
0: It's not a high school movie. They're, I mean they're either post college or didn't go to college. I think they're just early 20s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they're working They're trying at to get a, rent.
1: They're working at a grocery store. Yeah, they've they've got they have to pay rent. I always read it as like 18 19 20. Sure. Right in that region, right. So you can't are. really you can't really lump this in with all of the high school movies, even the high school movie we're about to talk about. Yeah, it's all a, the movies we talked about back in February. It's right? definitely not a high school movie. Yeah.
0: Um. So what do you see as the as Go's legacy? What are the reverberations from Go moving forward? I mean, this as many big actors that are in this movie or or name actors who weren't necessarily as famous then as they. You know, would become. This wasn't really like a star-making movie for any of these people, right? Yeah, it's
1: interesting. It was the first big role for Katie Holmes after Dawson's Creek, I'd say, right? Because this was... is well, Ice Storm. I guess the Ice Storm before this. Ice Although Storm. she's certainly a supporting player. in Yeah. That. I mean, this is this is the Katie Holmes time. You know, mm-hmm. like this is when Katie Holmes is happening for sure. Sarah Pauli is interesting because she was never a big movie star, at least not in this country. No, you know, like she was a child actor. She first came on my radar at The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Mm-hmm. She's a little girl in that, yeah, yeah. and then she did Avonlea The Road to Avonlea, the Canadian shows on the Disney Channel. Sure. Yeah, and then she got in with Adam McGowan and did Exotica and The Sweet Hair After and then Existence of David Cronenberg. And these are Canadian guys, right? Yeah, yeah. She's always been very She's involved very Canadian. in Canadian filmmaking, and then
0: became a filmmaker in her own
1: right. Yeah, I mean, she worked with Catherine Bigelow on a bad movie called The Way to Water with Sean Penn. Uh, She did The Claim with Michael Winterbottom. She was in the uh, pretty good Dawn of the Dead remake that Snyder did. That was kind of like the last legitimate American blockbuster, I'd say, that, you know, mainstream film she did. She did a movie called Splice uh, in 2009 and then that, the sci-fi movie, and then that's pretty much it. And by that point, she's She's really her own filmmaker. I mean, she directed her first short film the same year this movie was made. Interesting. So she's already laying the track in 1999. She knows where she wants to go, and that's who she is now. And she's a very reputable, very accomplished. I mean, she's only made like three movies, but they're all great. Yeah, and she's been able to work in on the documentary side as well as the the narrative side, right? So I have just so much respect for her. Yeah, apparently, it was very difficult to even get her come to come be in this movie because she's. She's Canadian. She likes being in Canada. She likes making movies in Canada. Yeah, she That's what her family is. Her desire was can- not
0: to become a Hollywood movie nope. star because I'm, I'm sure she had roles offered to her up the wazoo. Right, right
1: after this movie, she got offered the uh, Kate Hudson role in Almost Famous. Oh wow! It was supposed to be her and then Brad Pitt and the Billy Crudup role. Wow! And for whatever reason, Brad Pitt wasn't really into it, didn't really understand the character. Maybe there was budgetary things. Yeah. Either way, things fell apart. If she would have taken that part, which obviously made Kate Hudson a star and got her an Oscar nomination, things might be completely different. Might be totally different. Or maybe she would have done it and still felt the same way and been like, I'm going back to Canada and I'm going to be a filmmaker. That's crazy. So I just find her so interesting. None of these people have gone on to become what I would call A-list movie stars, not even Katie Holmes.
0: Yeah. I mean, Timothy Oliphant has had a really nice career, obviously, right? (laughs) Deadwood and Justified and all this stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, I really like Timothy
0: Oliphant. I
1: I think he steals every single scene he's in. I mean, that might be my favorite scene in the movie where he and Katie Holmes are you know, talking about the Breakfast Club and
0: He's my favorite part of this movie, and uh, he's just a really funny guy. Actually, yeah. like I just listened to him on Conan O'Brien's podcast. Okay, and apparently they're buddies, which makes me really happy. <laughs> and uh, he has the most like obscene, wacky, deadpan humor I've ever heard. He's just like a hilarious dude. Yeah, which is incredible.
1: Um, Do yourself a favor if you haven't gone down the Dinner for Five rabbit hole on YouTube. Ooh, you know, Dinner for Five yeah, Fabro's show. Thing. Yeah, you can find quite a bit of. There's a lot of episodes that are still on YouTube, and there's a really good one with Jay Moore and Timothy the oh, nice. Where they talk about this and how much Jay Moore wanted that drug dealer role. Yeah, and he, but he had such good chemistry with with uh, Adam uh, Scott Wolf. Scott Wolf, sorry, yeah. with Scott Wolf that the, he had. They had to put him in that uh-huh. part. And then Timothy Olyphant was cast in the Aidan Quinn role in Practical Magic, mm-hmm. the uh, Sandra Bullock, <laughs> na- uh, Nicole Kidman witch movie. Yeah, and
0: filmed he, in uh, a Island.
1: Uh, good, good piece of trivia. <laughs> And then he got fired at the last minute and they hired Aiden Quinn and so they slid him into this part. I mean, I think he got this role like a week before they started shooting or wow. something and he went out and got himself his own temporary <laughs> neck tattoo and all that stuff. Yeah, I just love I just love all that stuff. It's just all good, kind of pulpy John August stuff, right? Like yeah. this is this is before he started working with, uh, I was going to say Edward Scissorhands. This is right before he started working with Tim Burton yeah. and kind of went off in that direction, right? Like this yeah. is still when he was a young, exciting, fun screenwriter who was willing to take some chances. Not that he isn't still a very talented guy he has a great podcast that he co-hosts where he talks about all this stuff and he's very uh-huh. candid about uh screenwriting fundamentals i think he's a fascinating guy but i wish there would have been an alternate universe where he would have made more films like this and written more films like this instead of gotten into disney and uh tim burton's back pocket
0: he, he wrote the screenplay for aladdin that's coming out so big. he's
1: obviously been very successful but this was a really fun time where he's young i mm-hmm. think this was his first produced feature at least he was apparently very very involved in this. Actually directed some second unit stuff was on wow. set every single day. That's very cool. Most of which were nights because it was 25 days of mostly night shoots. Lyman coming off of Swingers, he's still just young and hungry and weird and apparently kind of like a bit of a wild card on set. He's still shooting his own movies at this point. Really? He's still I think this is the last film cuz he didn't shoot Born Identity. I don't think he's actually been a cinematographer. He may have shot The Wall cuz that's a weird look. That's yeah, a small weird thing, ball. yeah. But but at this point he still got the camera on his shoulder every time. That's that's going to add a lot of This is going to add an interesting sort of energy and intensity on set. I don't know, just like a fun confluence of people and events and personalities that I think really comes across on the screen. And yeah, just for whatever reason, trying to divorce myself from 90s nostalgia of being 16 and stuff, for some reason, this movie just really, really works for me on an emotional and an artistic level. And I revisit it all the time, and it's one of the films I was most looking forward to in this series because I consider it to be, you know, maybe one of my... Fifty favorite movies of all time. Well,
0: I mean, it's a good look at who was hot and interesting in that moment, right? It, it is a cool 1999 cultural artifact. Doug Liman went on to do very different things after this. Yes. right? Yes,
1: and in my opinion, has never gotten to this level. Like no film he's made since Go has ever appealed to me this way. Sure, I was never a born guy, really. As Net Jumpers, obviously, kind of a mess. Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow is a really fun movie, and I it like it. I'm glad. Good. I'm glad they're making a sequel. But yes. he's just. I've never cared about Doug Lyman since Go. Let's put it that yeah. way. And I had high hopes for him after
0: this film. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is the guy. Well, I'm hitching my the, wagon. Hey, to the the stock. OC I'm buying pi- stock. OC pilots. One of the best pilots out there. Yeah. Um, Katie Holmes has had her own very weird career, obviously. Yeah. Since then,
1: she has legitimate chemistry with Oliphant though. Yeah. Like that's a super sexy interaction. Yeah. You they're know, a lot like, of fun. It's together. a fun. It's great when they're talking about the uh, the uh, family circus and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a really sexy scene on the steps. Uh, I just, I dig all that stuff. William Fickner. Yeah. Like, what a, what a silly, weird. I mean, the movie goes off in this crazy direction. Mm-hmm. It has all these kind of homoerotic undertones and stuff. And then it ends up being about Amway, her Confederated Products, right? That's so funny. I, don't know, I just find it very silly.
0: But is it, going back to Kate Holmes, like, she really didn't get into much of the indie prestige world at all after this, right? She When's did, April, what's it
1: called? April Shower? April? Pieces of April? Pieces of April When's was Pieces of April. Tw-
0: 2003. Okay. Right. So that, that
1: was the high water mark in terms of critics actually respecting her as yes. an actress, right? Yeah. I think she may have gotten a Golden Globe nomination or but something.
0: But I mean, before that, you know, th- this is bookended by <laughs> disturbing behavior and teaching Mrs. Tingle, right? Okay. I guess
1: Wonder Boys. Oh, that's right. Good She's movie. in. I always conflate Wonder Boys and Ice Storm. Yeah, for some reason, That's those weird. movies always kind of overlap for me because they take place in these New yeah. England towns. Very different you. vibes. Those movies yeah, though. yeah, fair enough.
0: <laughs> um, but but none of the other big hot actors at the time moved on to be very big. Right, yeah. Breckin Meyer has had his own little career or whatever there. yeah right and uh
1: Desmond Askew never became a thing no Nathan Bexton like I said super nice guy he's really funny in this movie I mean, he's T- actually kind of a standout yeah. but he never really became a thing Tay
0: Diggs so. obviously had a career yeah you know Jay Moore Scott Wolf have, have done fine but Melissa McCarthy's yeah, uh, yeah I guess if you look at the cast Melissa McCarthy is currently the biggest star <laughs> of anyone in this cast
1: and she's really adorable she's yeah. like she's got one scene but she's very very funny in it she really makes I mean, <laughs> I mean even at the time I didn't know who she was and I was yeah, just I was like, like there's something funny. about funny that idea. Yeah, something going. <laughs> On, with, I mean, she's she's a big presence in the trailer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this that is funny. This is her this is her first <laughs> film. Uh, I want to read a quote from Joe Reed who wrote about this film for The Atlantic in sort of a retrospective about five years ago. The split narrative style complete with character title cards separating the film into thirds put Go at the top of the list when it came to late 90s Tarantino-influenced cinema. And then there was director Doug Liman, red hot off the cult success of Swingers, trading neo-swing culture for X and Raves. Both films would give a healthy chunk of attention to Las Vegas as well. The thing about Go that sets it apart, however, is that it's completely fantastic. Energetic and quotable and stylish and neither overly enamored with nor overly dismissive of the culture it's inhabiting.
0: I think, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment of how it treated the culture Mm -hmm. right like it it was it it wasn't judgy about the people doing it It didn't make a mockery of the stoned people all that much i mean there there's some of the kids taking the aspirin and feeling they're getting stoned but like (laughs) that's a it's kind of in good fun that's a good adorable state of mind to be in right when you're just high on life
1: well it also it really kind of it worked to demystify a lot of this drug culture stuff for me Mm -hmm. because when you before you know if you haven't done ecstasy by this point and it's basically been built up to you as like you're going to Take it, and you're gonna start sweating, and then you're gonna try and have sex with everybody around you, yeah. and then you're gonna die. You know, you're gonna dehydrate and die. Yeah, <laughs> and you're gonna flop on the floor like yeah. a fish. And I love the fact that the movie kind of like demystified all that stuff and said, "Hey, this is something that people who are in their 20s do. It's fun. You got to be responsible about it. You might get, you know, if run you, over by a car, knocked into a ravine yeah. if you're not if you're not careful. Yeah. But like this is just something that kids do, and this is a rite of passage they need and, to go through, and, and it doesn't judge anybody, yeah. right? It doesn't no. even judge the drug dealers.
0: No. Take the right dosage. If you yes. double the dose, Don't, then you will be fried eggs
1: off you in the uh, emergency room
0: bad place uh but mostly it just makes you happy and have a good time
1: i remember watching the commentary where doug Lyman and john august were talking about this they both neither claimed to have ever done ecstasy at the time the film was made but doug Lyman was really proud of himself because he talked to a lot of people who saw the film and said that's exactly the way that it looks and feels when you're on Ecstasy. Like that opening title sequence is a great evocation sure. of an ecstasy trip, which I can, I, I feel like I can somewhat vouch for oh, as I well. I see that a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but Lyman claims he was just sort of trying to make a fun opening salvo, that he wasn't really attempting to yeah. uh, recreate that experience that he never had before. It's kind of the same way that Terry Gilliam claimed when he made Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas that he had never done uh, Mescaline or Acid. Yeah. Which I still have a hard time uh-huh. believing. But then again, maybe I don't want to see what Terry Gilliam's movies look
0: like after he's done <laughs> Acid, right? Terry uh, Gilliam's on something. I know that.
1: So here's, uh, here's an interesting piece of trivia. This comes off of IMDb. Uh, the letter X, or the figure X, is a reoccurring motif in the film. Malcolm X comes up Xerxes yeah. Ecstasy obviously Mary Xmas is the name of the rave uh, Room 66 is, this, is the room they're staying in in the At the Riviera uh, Simon draws an X on his arm as a target Before J.E. Freeman yeah. uh, Or before J.E. Freeman's son shoots him And at the end it's revealed that the rave was held In a triple X porn emporium And also sex <laughs> sex is a bad omen In the movie Anytime anything sexual happens Something bad That is true come, uh, Comes next right?
0: Yeah, so it's a very conservative Christian theme.
1: Maybe it's just sort of functioning with the <gasps> Kevin Williamson rules that yeah, you yeah. set up in and, <laughs> and, and, Scream, and scream yeah, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Any any final thoughts before we move on to election here?
1: No, I mean I'm glad we didn't completely agree about it. I, I respect your opinion. I, w- I hope that you revisit it in the, in the next you know sometime yeah. in the next five years because I really think there is a lot to glean from this. But uh, maybe I need to do drugs. Maybe you need it to watch is. it on ecstasy. Yeah. Maybe that's the issue. No, I don't know. I just I watch, I just revisit this movie all the time. It really, really is a happy place film for me for whatever reason and I think it holds up, and I feel like it's a movie really doesn't get talked about very much. Like, of all the films on this list that we're going to yeah. discuss, Go feels like a little bit of an outlier to me. It feels like it's a forgotten cult text, right?
0: Forgotten, I mean, it was culty for a long time. I mean, it made money, a little bit, not much. Yeah. $28 million on a $25 million budget. Exactly. Um, but I do think people of our age know the movie. Like, it's 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 not it's not forgotten in that way. Like, if you talk to someone about Go, they know what it is, what it is. But I, I, I think you're right. I'd be willing to bet that anyone in their 20s right now probably is would be so unfamiliar ignorant to it yeah, yeah. it'd be interesting if it, if it had a rebirth as sort of a dorm room classic
1: now would be the time for yeah. it I mean I I don't want to necessarily point to Johnny Come Lately's out there in the uh, pop culture <laughs> interwebs but uh, there's starting to be a lot of op-ed pieces yeah. uh, written about 1999 <laughs> I feel like we were somewhat ahead of the curve on this yeah. so for all I know when we're posting this uh, there there might be a lot of articles written today about Go and if so I'll read every single one of them because I think this movie is overdue for a reevaluation.
0: All right. Election. Election is a movie that I adore and I was really into it right away. I saw it in the theater. It seemed to me to... First of all, it didn't make money. So it was sort of an under-the-radar... Yeah. I, I don't remember the marketing campaign at all. I don't remember if it was a big deal at the time or they're trying to make it a big deal at the time.
1: Well, it's funny that we're going to talk, we're talking about it so soon after Varsity Blues yeah. slash Beavis and Butthead do America because it's the sixth MTV film. Yeah. So right out of the gates, MTV just starts pumping stuff out, mm-hmm. right? 200 cigarettes. To me, I remember this them really leaning on the MTV yeah. and the high school of it all. Yeah. Like them trying to sell this movie as something that it's not.
0: It is, yeah, it is absolutely not a high school movie in the way we think of high school movies yeah
1: and you would never confuse this with She's All That no or even Cruel Intent
0: and if you're a parent of a high schooler it's probably not a movie you want your high schooler to see this is a hard R it's a hard R movie Um, as a
1: matter of fact I was I was going to revisit it the other day and I was thinking about watching it with my mom because she's very Political, or at least has many political yeah. opinions. And this is a fascinating film to watch in our current political climate, yeah. especially with an upcoming election. Apparently, this is Barack Obama's favorite film about politics, at least according to Alexander Payne. It's pretty good. So I was like, I, I bet my mom and I would have an interesting conversation after that. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, there's a lot of sex in election. Like, there's- election is a very sexually...
0: And sort of and, and sort of dirty, Deviant, dirty yeah. and grimy yeah. sex like yeah. matthew broderick and his friend in this movie are just gross middle-aged men yes. really but it is the movie that reese witherspoon was kind of a thing we just you know cruel intentions was coming out and you know i as a young man i was like oh I, I love reese witherspoon uh it seemed like a weird thing for matthew broderick to to, to be in and i remember seeing it i don't think i saw it with either of my parents, that would have been weird. But I remember going into it and being like, This is absolutely not what I expected it to be, probably because it was supposed to, it was being touted as a high school movie. Yeah. And then coming away being like that was so much dirtier and more adult and fucking fantastic than I ever thought it and could be. Smarter than you yes. thought it'd be. Yeah, and and, and it, it's it's stylistic in this weird sort of lo-fi '90s way, where you know these these free, freeze frames and all the uh, all the voiceover. There's some weird fantasy shots, like him as this Italian playboy. Yeah, rear screen projection. Yeah, Yeah um and so <laughs> I it, it, it all worked for me i remember re- revisiting quite a bit early on once it came out i had the dvd um but i don't think i'd watched it for a good five ten years uh upon re-watching it i still absolutely love it it seems a little more inconsequential right now okay. to me than, than it did at the time
1: you think it's inconsequential you don't agree with Barack Obama that it's necessarily are you saying you you disagree with Barack Obama this is a great political <laughs> well, movie? Uh, you're, you're saying that it's, well, I'll, I'll, it's reading it's I'll, like a, too much of a stretch to say that this movie is yeah. an interesting uh, reflection of our yeah. current political so, climate uh,
0: yeah, it. It, it is interesting that you say it's Barack Obama's favorite movie about politics because to me it didn't feel like it was saying something all that meaningful about like the human condition or political theater or or anything Hmm. i I mean i guess the 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 main theme of uh politics corrupts you right like i mean that's that's pretty basic but I guess that does probably would ring true for a, for a politician, right? You yeah. you you're, you're tempted all the time to do something dirty or compromise do bad or, or compromise your yeah. beliefs, right?
1: Well, it's interesting when I first saw it, I was I mean, I was a 16-year-old kid and yeah. a lot of that stuff went over my head yeah. and I really kind of experienced it as a naughty high school movie. And yeah. and I got that it was called Election for a reason and I yeah. got that it was revolving around the titular uh, election, but at the same time I wasn't nearly savvy Or sophisticated enough to really understand the implications of that. Since then, like especially this last rewatching, I was mostly focused on all that. Cool. I'm still not super politically savvy (laughs) at all. And I think I'd be very interested in, you know, reading an op-ed by Barack Obama in terms of how he reads it. But I do think that all that stuff is there. And to me, looking at it in retrospect, it seems like that's what Alexander Payne is most interested in, right? Like that's the
0: kernel of it yeah
1: or is it more that he's just into the human condition and ethics i guess at the end of the day it's about Ethic ethics and morals. morals right and what the <laughs> difference is what's the difference yeah.
0: um i mean i also think it's you know watching it nowadays it just also reads as like you know mediocre white guys getting dunked on by a prodigy the idea that just because you're this uh, beloved high school teacher doesn't mean you're anything special and you're absolutely not special in that way like you, you you're, you're as fallible as, as anyone else even if you build yourself up in something bigger in your own world
1: uh, this is an interesting reading that i hadn't even thought about until yeah. i was doing some research today jim McAllister, uh, the matthew brody character jim McAllister's diet and lifestyle get increasingly less healthy as the movie progresses <laughs> yeah when he makes his life worse McAllister's diet gets less healthful the beginning he's seen regularly running the opening scene is yes. him running right and he eats salad for dinner when he first gets the idea to mess with the election, it's when he's drinking a Pepsi. Right after his affair fails, he stuffs his face with a cupcake and is no longer shown running. At the end, when Metzler and his family meet him at the restaurant, he's eating pie. And we yeah. can see a salad off to the side that he's barely touched. In the epilogue, when he sees Tracy one last time, he throws a milkshake at <laughs> he's her. a freaking milkshake. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's kind of funny in terms of like his deterioration over time. Yeah. Because it really is about... His fall and her rise, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, and also, like, you know, if you look at Alexander Payne's work, like, he does focus on the sort of existential malaise of middle-aged white guys quite a bit. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, that is a big theme of this movie. And I don't know if you can—I think you can separate that from whatever he's trying to say As about a matter f- politics, right?
1: As a matter of fact, is Citizen Root the only film he's made that does not have a white male protagonist who's going through a crisis? I think, yes. Right? Yeah. Downsizing absolutely. Descendants about Schmidt. That's more. Sideways. Senior. Yeah. Yeah. Sideways, absolutely. Yeah. And this is, in its own way, this is a. There really are dual protagonists. I mean, Tracy is. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you could even read it. There, one way of reading it is that this film has four protagonists, right? Sure. Because you get four discrete. Voiceovers, You do. Tracy, Jim McAllister, mm-hmm. Paul Metzler, and uh, Tammy, Tammy. Tammy Metzler. Guzler, it was yeah. just the fucking greatest She's character so ever. She's so freaking funny. Yeah. I love it. But there was, just to, just, to, just, to, just sort of like wrap up the political thing, one of the readings of the film, which I had never really thought about until I was doing some research, research this afternoon, is that it was a reflection of the 1992 campaign where you had Bush and Gore yeah. and then Ross Perot yeah. comes, Perot Perot comes Perot in as the third wild card. Exactly, now, yeah. yeah. So Tammy Metzler <laughs> would be the Ross Perot in that <laughs> That regime, which I kind of like.
0: Yeah, I like I like that too. No, I mean I I still absolutely adore this movie, and Reese Witherspoon is pretty dang perfect. Yeah, in it, and it's 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 a weird take on an obviously odd character, right? And it's it's it shows it shows maturity as an actress at her young age to pull this off. You know, she had been. You know, it was really a cruel attention. She had been sort of cast as... A month you, later. You know, a month earlier, rather, she, was cruel attention. She was cast as this, like, romantically sex pot type of person mm-hmm. into... You know, ugly herself up a little bit and just be weird and off-putting,
1: and yet still a very sexualized character, right? Yes, I mean, but, but like
0: knowingly, like she's she's yes. using it as a
1: weapon. But the introduction to her character is her having an affair with a teacher. Yes. like that's like <laughs> it's like the first flashback is her having an affair with Dave Novotny, which is yeah. I mean, even there's even a line where he like he looks straight in the camera and he says yeah. something about her that's very very crass. Um, yeah. Yes,
0: well, I mean, Tracy. So look at Tracy Flick. Like that is such a unique character that I am are very few characters like her in, in film yeah. history, right? It's very complex. Yeah. almost bordering on sort of sociopathic spec- <laughs> sociopathic like spectrumy yeah, qualities at sure. times. But it is also, you know, you can read this movie as as a as a look at what it takes to be sort of a politician right yeah or to be the kind of high-rising high-achieving human being in this world and what that does to your brain and your social life and all and all that shit too and the
1: ethics and morals you're willing to compromise or adjust your personal expectations or or how
0: you rationalize it to yourself as you you go through it
1: yeah reese witherspoon is so interesting and it's great that we've gotten a chance to talk about cruel intentions than this because this to me is really the turning point she was fully formed from a very early age i mean first film she was ever in she's the star of man on the moon man on on the moon walk on the moon walk on the moon very quickly i'm gonna try and say this I'm gonna try not to say it I'll try to say it in a way that doesn't sound creepy. Very quickly, she was very sexually comfortable. Like she was very comfortable with nudity from very early on. Yeah. So right off the right off the bat, you know, you got Freeway, which is a very adult film. Yeah. Then you got Fear, which yes. has a pretty infamous scene with her and Wahlberg, right? Yes. And um and then you have Twilight. Yeah. Now, this is not the Pattinson, Kristen Stewart Twilight. This is the Gene Old Hackman, Newman. Paul Newman. <laughs> yeah. The opening scene of that movie is her having sex with Liev Schreiber and she's, you know frontal nudity. Yeah. So she was very comfortable with herself very early on, and basically just wanted to had a certain ele- amount of physical confidence. Yes. And she just right off the bat, I'm 20 years old. I got no problem with nude scenes, and I'm a re- you know I'm a real actress, and this is what I'm going to do. And then Pleasantville after that, where she plays a sexually aggressive character. Yeah. And then Cruel mm-hmm. Intentions, of course, and then this, and then she's off to the races. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, she made this movie, when she was 23 years old.
0: Yeah. Quite a run for an early <clears throat> actress, and it's it's been fun singer age into you know she, she goes back and forth between you know rom-com populist policing films and then prestige stuff and won she- her
1: Oscar for one of her most probably disposable yes. roles oddly
0: yeah. Um, but then you know, then you know she, she still has that right. You look at something like even Mud, like her character in Mud, She's like great in that, fantastic, but yeah. also highly sexualized character. Or yeah,
1: whatever. sure. We we were talking about Wild earlier. Yeah, Wild. You, you know,
0: almost the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, great stuff from Reese Witherspoon, and obviously she has a good feel for for scripts and knowing when to go for it and what movies are going to be good. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, you have a guy named Chris Klein, <laughs> yes, who I believe was just a student at that high school. That's that's my understanding, right. Yeah. And got cast, and which makes sense when you see him in other movies because he's clearly not an actor, but he is pretty darn perfect for for this role. Yes, right. Like you, you, kind of almost want a non actor given sort of the stuff he's provided in the script. I I think of one of my favorite scenes, just laugh out loud, is his uh, his reading of his speech. Yes, <laughs> okay, man. He and basically like, like
1: gets far away from yeah. the microphone and then gets close to it again. And
0: to me, it's like the most realistic. Teen reading yeah. a speech I'm in high speech. school. I've definitely given speeches like that yeah. for sure. Then you have, uh, yeah, uh, Tammy Messler, who the uh, the lesbian who says she's not a lesbian. She's just trying things out. Well, who, that
1: the the speech scene, yeah, might be the best scene in the whole oh, film. God. You know, like when she riles everybody. Like Paul's speech is hilarious. Uh Tracy's speech is perfect for her and then Tammy's speech is just a really rousing moment. Yeah. And I really like not only would I one hundred percent jump to my feet and start yeah, clapping yeah. for her, but I can understand why the, you know, don't vote at all sort of declaration is exactly what puts fear in the yes. hearts of the uh, of the Democrats yeah. nowadays, right?
0: I, I just love her, I love that character because she's so emotional, so kind of tender in some ways and so stupid in some ways, but also like this evil anarchic genius in a lot of ways too, yeah. right? Just doesn't give a shit and sort of hates her parents and doesn't like her situation. Yeah. But Chris Klein's character too. Just the sweetest bro in the entire world. <laughs> yeah. Just the nicest guy you'll ever come across, and yeah. like that—that's also sort of rare for these characters at that time. You know, we saw she's all that and all, yeah. like, all these high school movies where like the bros have an edge or they're dicks or whatever. Like, no, there's is, there's is a place in the world for these really nice dingbat jocks, right? Well, we
1: can... We'll get even deeper into this when we inevitably talk about American Pie, which is really the only other quote-unquote important Chris Klein. (laughs) This is the year of Chris Klein. With all due respect to the guy, he's made other movies, but these are the two films that kind of define him for better or for worse. And even in that, it's like, yeah, we're not necessarily... Like, we're revolving around a bunch of schlubs. You know, obviously, Jason Biggs is kind of a near-do-well schlub in that, but... That film is not necessarily defined by its cookie cutter stereotypes either. Yeah. So, in that regard, it's a little bit refreshing. And yeah, that's it. That's sort of like Alexander Payne's thing right is mm-hmm. to come at this stuff from an unexpected vantage point yeah I mean he's just a he's the quintessential irreverent filmmaker I mean, yeah. he's a weird dude he's had a weird career his films are weird he's got weird interests sometimes kind of like almost deviant interests yeah his films are usually I mean sideways has its own kind of like sexual he's got he's uh, got
0: got some thoughts on infidelity yeah. and the inevitability of infidelity it yeah. seems a lot of times I think
1: Citizen Kane Citizen Kane <laughs> <laughs> <Whew>. Citizen Ruth <laughs> opens with pretty hardcore sex as I remember yeah, yeah. right yeah. Luso. It's like Laura Dern like having sex on a trash heap in a in a flop house basically. <laughs> yeah. So he he's in an interesting place at this point in his career because this is his second film. I still maintain that it's his best film. But in a lot of ways it feels like his most fun film, funniest film, maybe like loosest film.
0: Everything after this movie has a all very melancholic. Sure. Right? It has
1: an extra veneer of prestige that's applied to it. Yes. This feels like the expectations are so low for this mm-hmm. that he can kind of just let his big yeah. flag fly.
0: Yeah, and this movie would be more sad, I guess, if Matthew Broderick's character reacted to a situation differently, right? Okay, like he his unwavering optimism at being just a mediocre white guy and then moving to New York and being this music. Like the fact that they have that sort of epilogue, right, in in New York City. Sort of lets the audience off the hook hook. a little bit, right? It's interesting
1: you bring that up. This is based on a book by Tom Parada, which I've never read, who wrote wrote Little Children. I don't know whether this is the ending of the book, but apparently the original ending of the movie, which they shot, was uh, Jim McAuster ends up working at some sleazy uh, used car lot somewhere in Omaha, and Tracy visits him at the car lot before she goes to Georgetown. And it's basically him as a failure and her saying goodbye, so, yeah. I'm off to Georgetown. Yeah, so they shot that. It tested really poorly, and then they reshot the current epilogue as it exists, yeah. which must have been pretty expensive because they had to go to New York. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's a very, it's kind of a structurally complex well, epilogue. So we,
0: we were looking at the budget, saying like, I don't see how it's twenty five million dollars. Doesn't feel like twenty five million dollars, but that was probably a <laughs> big. Five chunk. million is, <laughs> five million is the that. epilogue. Yeah,
1: and then they would have had to go to Ge- They would have had to go to D.C. I mean, the end of the movie yeah. takes place in D.C. So on the mall. But that was the move. Because the ending of this film is like pitch perfect. It's spot it's on,
0: and the ending you're talking, the, the alternate ending sounds like
1: more like late period pain.
0: Yeah, well, kicking kicking someone while they're down, right? I think it is my favorite Alexander Payne movie. A lot of people would point to Sideways, I'm sure. Um, and I, I I do find good. I don't love any of his other movies, right? Okay. I don't lo- Me neither. I don't love Sideways, but I, I enjoy. Respect. I respect it. Yeah. About Schmidt is is too is too much. For it's me. rough. It's it's it's, it's a rough it, It's kind of a lot yeah. of ennui there. Yeah, a lot of sadness, porn. Uh probably you
1: know, the last great Nicholson, Nicholson though, right? performance though. That'll be the legacy of that film. Yeah, that, that is like the last time Nicholson showed up to work.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and he's say. great. Name. He's excellent. At it. And Kathy Bates nude scene. That's the other She's legacy. She's very funny in that. Her. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Nebraska, I like fine, but I don't. I don't inconsequential to me. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, Descendants. I like Descendants. Fine. Descendants is okay. Gave us some good Matthew Lillard work.
1: It's overrated. And then we both admitted to each other earlier today that we had neither of us have seen Downstairs, yeah, which at the moment is the forgotten pain movie, but may experience a reevaluation at some point some people really ride for that film some people defend it yeah i'm gonna to have to do it at some point because i want to be a completist
0: well it did on uh, um, you know it doesn't seem like as melancholy or sad or any we field movie as as these but maybe maybe that's what we're missing maybe it does have some some of that it's know.
1: it's the one I, I mean i need to see it because yeah. it's the one i'm having the hardest time getting a you know kind of getting a read on sure which is what happens when yeah. you haven't seen a movie and you're passing judgment on it but, yeah, to me, I, I feel like this is the most successful distillation of what he's capable of. Mm-hmm. And it's it's him at his most experimental, and the movie has kind of like a, a momentum and a rhythm to it. And like you said, there's freeze frames and flashbacks and crazy text effects, and they dive into the yearbook, and there's... Uh, rear screen projections And fantasy sequences And mm-hmm. I wish he would go back To something that was He doesn't need to make movies With a happy ending And he can be as melancholy as just he wants have more to. fun Exactly yeah. That's the word I'm going Which I know is a very Kind of like reductive Simplistic but word But for I wish he sense. would have More fun
0: Let's talk about Matthew Broderick Very briefly Okay So he, do, he does this in 99 He says you can count on me The next year S- okay. Since then there's been almost nothing in in, of, in like the prestigey consequence. He was in Manchester by the Sea, but very briefly. That's right.
1: He's kind of playing a shade of the. He's playing. Well, I guess he's kind of hyper-religious in Manchester by the sea, yes. But you can sort of see him as see, a distant a cousin of, this, of yeah. You Can Count On Me, this right? This is the suburban boring
0: He's playing like yeah. a
1: sleaze and You Can Count On Me who's sleeping with Laura Linney, right? Isn't he her boss and, and he's sleeping with her? Oh, it's fuck. been a long time since God. i said You Can Count On I Me. I really like that movie. It's a great film. Yeah. But basically what we're saying is the only times he's really done anything of consequence since this, the yeah. exception yeah. maybe the producers, yeah. is when he's working with Lonergan.
0: Yeah, which is really interesting. I mean, he seems like a... a I mean, he's, he's a pretty unique singular presence, I guess. He brings a lot of... Matthew Broderick meta shit to whatever role he comes in, at least to me, just the... Yeah. When
1: the movie came out, I remember people saying, the the fun reading of it, like the popular reading of it was, this is what happened when Ferris Bueller... Grew up,
0: which is it's just unfair to Matthew Broderick. Well, probably, it's inter-
1: but- it's interesting, but I think it's also something that's been applied to a lot of Matthew Broderick yes. adult performances, yes. right? It's kind of like that's his most iconic role. We're always going to kind of want to go back to that. Well, yeah. in terms of how we read his characters, I don't really see much Ferris Bueller in this character personally. No, I don't either. But it is it is a fearless performance in a lot of ways. Oh, like yeah. he allows himself. Not only does he look pretty schlubby and watching porn and stuff, and it- he allows himself to be very. Unsympathetic.
0: He becomes very pathetic very quickly in this movie. Yeah, and yeah.
1: he and he kind of leans into it in a way that impresses me, and I wish he would have been. I feel like most of the critical claim went towards Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, which is great; it was a star-making performance. But I feel like he got overshadowed, and his performance in this is really complicated and nuanced and interesting. And I wish people respected it a little more for how how much he's willing to do, how brazen. Yeah. His well, performance it's is. weird.
0: It feels like this could have been a pivot point for him to yeah. do more to the next prestige chapter. stuff, more independent stuff, more smaller things because I think he is a good actor when he you know puts his mind to it and gets the right script. But yeah. he's doing he, I mean Inspector Gadget, Snow Day, Good Boy, Oof. like Deck the Halls, B Movie. I mean, he does he just doesn't go out for these yeah.
1: real movies. He right? committed himself to the stage and yeah. then he decided to make some money. You know he I let, guess he always has he the, the stage Sarah. work
0: so he, he catches in with Hollywood and then yeah. he can feel good about his stage Kinda work. Kind of let I mean, his wife rise sense. to prominence yeah. on
1: HP and sort of like backed her up for a number of years. Maybe there'll be some kind of renaissance at some point. I mean, I, I feel like he's still got something left in the tank. Yeah, for sure. But if this is the last great Broderick performance, I'm okay with that. Because I think it's one of his best. Yeah. So I just think it's so interesting the way, like his relationship with his wife, the fact that he has seen his best friend have an inappropriate relationship with this Tracy Flick character and then has these dreams about her that are... Not overtly sexual, but yeah. then her face kind of grafts oh, yeah. onto the back of it. And I just think that there's something about the, the idea of grafting, like grafting almost molestation onto how politicians deal with the opposition and with sure. the administration, you know, fucking the opposition, fucking the administration, fucking the voters for that yeah. matter. Oh, and yeah. I just think there's something to that kind of like just like primal caveman, almost like reptilian sexual impulse that keeps getting explored in this movie. I don't think any of that is just, you know, Alexander Payne being a naughty boy. I think there's yeah. something like deeply thematic and thought out
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's a it's a it's a great movie. Uh I, I, I don't really have a good feel for where it ranks or where it is in, in people's minds these days. I don't know if it's how forgotten it is or how culty it is. It doesn't seem like it's in the uh, zeitgeist all that much these days. I mean,
1: I, I would say it is more so than Go, for example, which you I feel is a little yeah. more obscure. But you're right. It's It, it should be Talked about more. Yeah, I feel like it's been overshadowed by Sideways and The Descendants. Yeah, inappropriately. And uh, and yeah, I don't know. Alexander Payne is just a weird. He's just a weird dude. He always dances to the beat of his yeah. own drum.
0: He doesn't. He doesn't make feel good movies. He doesn't make like, oh, this will be fun. Let's put on this hey. movie. But this movie is fun, despite some of the darker themes, I suppose. In this movie. Yeah,
1: and maybe it's because it's the one that I just laughed the most consistently. Yeah. at like to me, it is. It is it's definitely is fun. Aggressively movie. a comedy as yeah. opposed to some of his more morose stuff. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, it's the one that maybe just because of the one I revisit the most, by nature, I like Mm -hmm. it the most.
0: Let me ask you this. Too much voiceover?
1: It's interesting. I was thinking a lot about Goodfellas when I was watching this the other day, actually, because that's one of the few films that actually has multiple character voiceovers. Yeah. This one has four voiceovers, but I do appreciate the fact that they really like lean into that yeah. aspect of it, right? Too many voiceovers? I don't know, it's it's embedded in the personality of the film, right? Yeah, no, like it is. It's embedded in the approach. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty evenly distributed, right?
0: They are. I you know, I, I was thinking about while watching, it, it, at times the voiceover is pretty necessary because if you I was just thinking if you took it away, some of the decisions these characters are making would be maybe a little more baffling and a little you'd be less sympathetic towards these characters okay.
1: a lot of times in the movie well it all kind of culminates in them praying right yeah there's that scene where they yeah. all are praying the night before the election that's kind of where the, the voiceovers are almost kind of like leading up to that yeah There. that's way.
0: true alright any any final thoughts on election
1: I love all the apples and oranges stuff yeah. I love um, I love the the difference between ethics and morals stuff yeah. yeah I just I just think it's I just think it's a hell of a lot of fun mm-hmm. considering the fact that it's, it's dealing with some pretty some relatively dark stuff
0: to, to me very clear really a better movie than go you feel you feel the opposite, and that's I do. okay. But it, I mean it might have seemed weird that we were gonna pair them this
1: way, but I'm kinda glad that we did. They both, like I said, they both bookend the month of April and now we gotta deal with the countdown to uh, the Phantom Menace, oh, right? Oh baby. We're gonna have to rip that band-aid off uh, sooner than later.
0: I tried to rewatch it recently in anticipation and It might take a couple tries. We only made it twenty minutes, <laughs> so I, I have to lock myself to the couch and throw away the remote <laughs> right. and make myself do it.
1: You tell your girlfriend like, do not open this door <laughs> Just, I might you Don't you, let me leave. Me
0: scream you might hear me clawing at this door do not let me leave that will be a fun episode uh, until next time this has been we like movies retro spectating 1999 say goodbye Matt goodbye I was lying on the grass a Sunday morning of last week indulging in